One of the very first things I learned about Brazilians when I left outside of Brazil, we're everywhere, right? There's no place in the world that's not like chock full of Brazilians. You have a group of 10 or more Brazilians, there's a Brazilian store and there's a Brazilian, you know, there's a Br Brazilian party. So yeah, when it comes to food and culture and all those things that we get used to, you can find in most places. So you sort of, sort of end up building this home away from home. I'm Ben Grenell, part of the early startup team here at Levels. We're building tech that helps people to understand their metabolic health, and this is your front row seat to everything we do. This is a whole new level. No matter where you go in the world, there's always one place that everyone will think of as their home. That being the place that maybe they've got fond memories of or the place where they grew up. There's something about home that always draws you back. Well, when you live in different locations and when you travel around the world, sometimes it's a matter of finding things that feel like home outside of that place. And so for Murillo, one of the developers on our software team, Murillo's been part of Level since early 2020. He was one of the first developers working on the product. Initially, he started out as a contractor, but he ended up coming on full-time in March of 2021. Murillo's originally from Brazil, but he spent time outside of Brazil, traveling the world, getting exposed to different tech companies, and now he lives in Lisbon. Murillo always seems to find home wherever he goes. Home being a group of Brazilians, he knows where they are, he knows where to find them. And so when he finds this connection, it always feels like home anywhere he goes. It was a great conversation. It was very much a team member spotlight. And we talked about everything related to software development at levels, some of the things around documentation, and even how he finds home away from home. No need to wait. Here's a conversation with Marilla. So we should rewind all the way back. I mean, you've got some of the most tenure with the company as far as you would have been working as an eng when, I mean, you're in the first five, like granted from a contract basis before yeah. you came on board full time, but you've been mm -hmm. like working with levels for a really, really long time. So why don't we rewind all the way back to when you started, when that was, what it looked like and take it from there. So I started, I think it was what? 2020. Yeah. yeah. I had just left my last company, which I had worked for, I think, two to three years with them. And at the end there, it was just like, okay, I was really burnt out when I left that company. And I just wanted to see like, one, take a break and two, see if I just could find another way of relating with, to my job that wasn't so, which at the time felt like overwhelming, right? I was easily overwhelmed with my job because I care. I feel like I still do, like I care a lot. And that tends to, yeah, just build up, build up, build up. So it's just like that kind of time, right? It was like, so I wasn't looking to find a new client or a new position or any of that. I was really just looking for, to do like the minimum amount of contract work just to pay my bills mm -hmm. and sort of do that exploration work of seeing what else I can do. Uh, maybe developing new skills, the, seeing if there's anything else I was interested in. 
And so that's when the CEO of my previous company introduced me to Sam. And then we had a quick conversation. I think Sam shot me an email like, um, yeah, so we should jump on a call and talk about what it is that I need you to do because he was looking for someone to fix an animation on the app. And the CEO of the previous company was like, oh yeah, Morello really knows animations in React Native. So, you know, you should talk to him. So yeah, so Sam shot me an email. It's like, oh yeah, let's have a call. And I responded with this, like really, you know, uh, trying to put out this air of professionalism and just like, oh yeah, you know, like here's my cleanly link, just schedule some time and, you know, and he was like, no, I was thinking right now, let's just jump on a call. Okay, let's do it. And then we jumped on the call and he explained what he needed me to do. And it, it was pretty, like, it was pretty simple work. It looked really simple. So I just got started on it. And that's when Sam started sending me links related to the company. Things like um, investor updates and just like uh, things like that. And the simple work sort of like dragged on for a couple of weeks because it wasn't as simple as I initially thought it was. But at the same time, I was keeping communication mostly with Sam and John, which was the, you know, the main mobile engineer. So that they could see the progress that I was making, right? And it's just, they could see that the thing that I was solving was really hard, was a really tough problem. And it got to this point where I really wanted to finish it to like send it over. And they were like, yeah, you've been working on this for a long time. Can we, I remember Sam sent me an email like, can we pay you now? Because we've been working on this for, for, for a while. Like, no, I want, really want to finish this before that. And then, you know, I delivered the project. And after that, they just kept sending me work and I kept taking it. And the thing is, like, I, now I look at it, it feels like this really, uh, they were like winning me over, right? In the sense that they kept sending me work and not only like was tough work, was challenging work, but the bar was really high, right? I would, you know, send them like initial versions of the work that I was doing. And John would be like, oh yeah, but you know, this is good, but how about we do it like this? So it's better. Just, okay, let's do it like that, right? And then I started talking to David and whenever David had some work, he would send it my way. And then at the same time, Sam was sending me like updates on the company and over the, that, that period of like six months that I was working as a contractor, I became really invested. And I remember this one ask Sam sent on like a uh, investor update, which had to do with like product development uh, books and things like that. And I replied and like immediately, he just got me into a thread with David and Andrew. And now we're talking about, oh yeah, do you know this book? And what do you think about it? And it was like, I was really invested. But I think it was because I was seeing that feedback of like that conversation wasn't, I wasn't talking into like this black hole. Mm -hmm. I was getting like this, this, I was, you know, I was getting replies and I was, I was included in the conversation. Right. And it felt like, okay, this is different. Right. And at the same time, I also started using the product. Right. And that was when sort of things just came together. And I, I realized that even though it was, I didn't start out thinking, you know, I'm looking for my next thing. I sort of just found my next thing because even though like Levels was one of the clients I worked with in that period, I couldn't tell you, like, I just care that much. I was just, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to get into it. 
And I wanted to like, I thought about so much and even my own projects, right? I saw myself putting my own projects aside to like, oh yeah, no, but let's work on this for levels. So that's when I realized this was, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to pretend I'm not interested. So I shot uh, Sam an email. So, you know what? If you're interested, I'd love to join. And went through the, the process of like interviewing with, with Andrew and meeting the, the entire team. And yeah. You were in Portugal this whole time. Yeah. You're originally, we have to paint the picture. You're originally <laughs> from Bra Brazil. Brazil. And yes. you moved to Portugal. Mm -hmm. How many years ago was that? So I'm six months away from closing out five years. Uh, that's mm. like, I know that because that's meaningful for legal reasons. So I six months away from that five year mark. And so were you working remotely in Portugal as a, yeah. an engineer? Yeah, no, this whole time, I think my whole career, I was working remotely just because, well, I'm from Brazil and I started working as a software engineer in Brazil. And it's just because of my English and because of my access to the American market, I just could, I just had better access to, you know, better projects, to better pay and all that. So I always work remotely, right? So it was always like, I'm looking for either clients in the US or the UK. It was always the case, yeah. And so when you, you made that move, like when you decided to move from Brazil to Portugal, what was the catalyst for that change? Like what led you down the path? Because I'd imagine that life in Brazil as an engineer would be much different than the life that you have built in Portugal. Definitely. I think it was less, you know, I'm in Brazil, I want to go to Portugal. And it was more, I'm in Brazil, I'm mostly working remotely. And, you know, there's not a lot holding me here. So I want to see the world, right? And so initially what I did was I would just travel around and stay in a place for three months or so. And it was, it had everything to do with like, what do I want to do with my free time? So initially I just, I had this dream since I was very little of uh, snowboarding. So I was like, okay, I want to learn how to snowboard. So I went to Argentina and just learn how to snowboard and just travel around Argentina for a while. And then, oh, I want to learn how to surf, right? So I came to Portugal to learn how to, how to surf. And in those travels, whenever I was in a place and I didn't know where to go, I was like, yeah, no, I don't know where to go now. Like, I, you know, I have three months. I have to be out of where I am because most countries won't allow you to stay there for more than three or six months. Just, I have to be out of here. I don't know where I want to go. I would just come back to Portugal, to Lisbon, and I'd just mm. be here. And whenever I couldn't be here, I was always counting down the days so I could come here. So after a while of that, it's just the same story. It's just like, you know what? I keep coming back to Lisbon. I really want to be in Lisbon. Let's just, you know, do the jump. Let's just, you know, get a visa, move there and, you know, make home. So that's kind of like how I ended up here. And uh, yeah, so yeah, life here is very different than any life I could imagine having where I'm from. And yeah, life's been good to me, for sure. But you still get time to go back to Brazil, by the sounds of it. And there's yeah. probably always something that pulls any person back to their mental model of home. Like there's, there's always going to be where you live and what you consider to 
it, like in your mind, you, everyone sort of knows this. It's like a, a feeling, this sense of being home Definitely. that can't be replaced. Like no matter where you go in the world, you can feel comfortable. You can love the environment you're in. But there's something mm -hmm. that anytime people go back, it doesn't matter whether it's a big city that they grew up in or a town of 300 people, a village, right? Yeah. You feel this connection. And so it sounds like you still have that and you still make time to go back to Brazil. So what is it that draws you back there, given that the lifestyle is so different? Well, it's the people, right? It's always going to be the people. My people are there and my friends, my family, my, my mom, my aunts. And I think it's sort of uniquely, or I don't want to say uniquely Brazilian, but it's very Brazilian. And that we have really large families and, you know, families just that large extended families is just number one. So there is no chance of me saying, you know, I'm in Portugal now and I'm not going back. There's no chance of that just because my people are there. So, you know, I have to see my friends, my family and all the people who were still there. So, so the last time we were back, me and my wife, we got married in Brazil just seven months ago. And yeah, just seeing everyone, you know, moments like those sort of like just highlight that, you know, these are my people and it's just, it just feels like these moments are impossible without them, right? We could have gotten married here in some office or was had a small party with some of our friends here, but it just wouldn't feel the same without these people who have seen us, who have been with us for all this time. Even throughout this distance, you go back and you still feel connected and it still feels the same and it still feels just, you know, great to be next to them. And, you know, you remember all of those, all those memories and all of the things you've built since you've been there. And there's also that, like, there's also the point of how life moves, how life changes. It feels like life is always changing and it's always evolving. And then when you're back there, it feels like, oh no, but this core, this part, this like this very important part, this is still here and this is solid. This doesn't change. Like this care that this feeling they have for these people, this doesn't change, right? It's almost like this incredible feeling of safety that lets you do all these, you know, crazy daring things outside of there because you always have that place of safety to come back to. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's the food and the music and the culture, the lifestyle, all these things yeah. ground you because things might evolve architecturally. Mm -hmm. Things might evolve from an industry and an economic standpoint, but there are certain things that are relatively static, that being the food. Yeah. The food that you grew up with in this, like culturally things are so different. And so what is it that you do? Like you're, so you're remote and you're living away from mm -hmm. all of these things that ground you, that being the people that you care about in your circle of friends and family, that being the food, like that's some of those things get harder to replace because there's no IRL, yep. like there's no in real life version in Portugal. You can't just teleport somebody over, but what is it that you do? Like a lot of it's connected to how we operate as a team where we're remote, like mm -hmm. we're entirely remote. And so you have to find ways to be intentional about these things that give you fulfillment or meaning. Like what, what is it that you do with food, culture, music, all these things so that you still feel being in Lisbon is as much of a home as it can be outside of Brazil. So here's a, the, like one of the 
you know, the very first things I learned about Brazilians when I left outside of Brazil. That's the one thing I learned about Brazilians. We're everywhere, right? There is no place in the world that's not like chock full of Brazilians. And so wherever you have a group of 10 or more Brazilians, there's a Brazilian store and there's a Brazilian, you know, there's a Brazilian party. So yeah. So when it comes to food and culture and all those things that we get used to, you can find in most places and you can sort of build. So you sort of end up building this, you know, home away from home. And yeah, we're, we're, we're in those industrious people like that. So it was just that access is always there, right? It's not going to be the people who are back there, but you're going to find those people who share those same codes and who share those same, the things you care about. I'm pretty sure that you can pick most countries in the world and there's a samba party going on. There's a, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's some samba playing there, I'll bet you. And we're very good at finding ourselves, right? Like finding each other. It's something I noticed whenever I was out and about, like in the US, which was the first place I went to after leaving Brazil, for real, was, you know, you're attuned, like you, you're walking around and it's, okay, wait, I hear, you know, Brazilian Portuguese and oh yeah, those people are Brazilian right there. So it's just, you sort of have this capacity of like just finding each other, right? Yeah, Brazilians congregate. That is without a doubt. You yes. see a soccer ball <laughs> and there's probably 10 of them around. What's with this though? So this is something that I noticed when we brought on many devs at Skip from, and we mm -hmm. brought them from Brazil and they moved to with their families and some of them knew each other before and some of them didn't know, but there was still like a centralized place where mm -hmm. it was like relatively easy to come together because everyone's like, hey, we're here in this building, this room, this like with this team. So it's easy enough to meet them. But the funny thing was how important the sense of grilling meat was like this thing <laughs> that you did together and they loved it it was like a celebration yeah. of life it wasn't like yeah. i'd never experienced anything like it before where the idea of grilling meat together was this i don't want to oversell it but this like sacred mm -hmm. pastime where it would go on for hours and hours like yes 12 hours straight of grilling meat and just sort yeah. of being together and i was like this is a very interesting thing because it's not transactional it is very mm -hmm. much this we're here together and let's be present so like what go into that because i i thought that was like one of the coolest things being an outsider in north america and seeing this culture come into this world that we had around us mm -hmm. i think it has to do a lot with us finding out that translations for things aren't really translations, right? So churrasco, the way you'd say that in, in English is just a barbecue, but they're not the same thing in that, at least in Brazil, right? Uh, a churrasco, which is this, it's not a party, it's just people getting together and bringing meat and there's beer there and families there. And uh, it's just a group of people there. And it's, this day-long event and it's just a big part of of what i think keeps us together is that you need a, an excuse for a party right you need a reason to have a party but you don't need a reason to have a shohasko you just you just need meat and charcoal and you have a shohasko and let, let's just do it and that's a lot to do with just just like you said just being together and just like growing up even like, I'm, I'm sort of introverted, right? So I'm not big into parties, but a 
is more just how you chill. It's like, it's almost like a day at the park, right? A day at the park is not a party. It's just where you go with people you care about and just hang out. That's our version of it. It's just hanging out and just enjoying each other's company. And just not to beat this uh, comparison to death, but it's like at a party, you need to socialize, right? You go at a party and you, if you're just standing like in a corner, it, that's weird. But if you're at the Chihasco, you can just sit there and just have your beer and like, yeah, just be, right? Because it's this long drawn out event that you do every Sunday. Now think about this, like on most Sundays, you're seeing the same people over and over. There is no pressure to like, you know, make conversation because there's just no conversation that's going to fill all of those days in the year, right? So it's just that, it's just being together and enjoying yourselves and listening to music. If, you know, the music is good, if it's not, you know, just do something else. It's, so it's, there's that thing about the party without, you know, that, those social pressures. And again, I feel like I'm not doing the justice just because it's better experienced than explained for sure. By the sound of it, the, sort of the difference is parties have this, this association with them that they're formal. Like you invite people to a yeah. party, but from what I observed, and again, it's like you show up to very, a hospital. Yeah, very small samples that it's like no one's invited because everyone is. And it's just like you show up or you don't like it's sort of it's a lot more informal, whereas a party you use like somewhat invite people like you were invited to this party. And so the people mm -hmm. that are invited feel this need to go because they're invited. <laughs> whereas like the yeah. opposite is, hey, we're going to be doing this thing on Sunday. That's it. And it's like anyone can show up. It's like really yeah. one of those things. It's a lot less formal, but yeah, it just felt very positive in it being the celebration of life without being a formal celebration. Like no one said, hey, yep. we're here celebrating, but that's really what it feels like or it felt like. No, yeah, and, and that's what it is. And that's where it starts too. It's just, you know, families that usually like, it's the, the Sunday lunch that you'd go to, but it's just, you know, the day. Think about it, like that's how I experienced it, right? When we were really young, we would go to church, and then right after we'd go have lunch at my grandpa's house. And most of the days, like the Sunday lunch was a churrasco. So we'd just be there. And I think that's sort of how this happens. It's just, we're here together as a family. Let's just do it. And then when you grow up and you do it with your friends, you already understand that code of like, you know, we don't really need a reason to do this. It's, mm. it's just something we do, right? Yeah, it gives you that sense of balance so sure. we've grown immensely so when you started june of 20 mm -hmm. and came on yeah, i guess it was full-time march of 21 june of 20 we would have been i guess it was you really it was you and john at that time that were working on edge work especially yeah, definitely I, mobile work <laughs> like that it yeah. was definitely the two of you but now we're at over 50 people and engineers make up roughly half of the team. And so what, what has it been like to see this evolution from a contractor that was getting sent the odd investor update and the odd ask mm -hmm. of, of, we'll call it task work, to coming on full time and even from roughly a year ago until now, just what has it felt like to go through that evolution as we've grown as a team and how Eng has grown as a function within the team? It's sort of to answer this in an indirect way. We have this 
policy of like taking break every quarter. And I don't think I've ever like come back to work at the same company because mm. like whenever I take a break, I come back and things are different. And it feels like, you know, we're at a new level and we have new priorities and we try to execute on different things. Personally, I really like that because I'm one of those people who get bored really easily. And it has happened like many times in my career where it's just like, well, I'm doing the same thing today that I was doing when I joined this company like a year or two ago. We've talked about growing, but the work hasn't changed. The team has maybe we have like two or three new people, but my responsibilities are the same. At Levels, it feels like my responsibilities today are wildly different than even when I joined officially. And even like six months after I joined officially, I already had like different responsibilities. It was just felt like a different team working together. And many of those times it's just like, we have that one person joining the team and that just like changes things, right? And it just feels like, whoa, okay, now we're working at a different level. I think when Alan joined, it felt a lot like that. When Justin joined, it felt a lot like that. You know, these people that come in and it's just like, oh, okay, so now we're at a new level because this is possible now, right? We can do this. And we have this person who's really like pushing us towards that. For myself, I think I've led some projects in this time and had to think about things from different lens than I would have had if my, my, my role was just implementing code, which is, it's very exciting, right? Because you get to do this sort of like flex, this entire new muscle they didn't even know you had. Like, you know, the first time you do it, it feels like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. But then there are people around you that are like, okay, how about it? If you need help, there's help available. And then just working with people throughout this experience as well. Like just, I remember working as the, the stakeholder for the blood testing and just working with JM and just seeing what, what he had to do to get, to just crush, you know, blockers that would come up and what he had to do, like to just, you know, bring everyone together and just align expectations, even working with an external team. This feels like a whole new level of education, right? I'm, I'm learning so much right now, just watching JM uh, talk to this external team and just like uh, getting everyone aligned and jumping into these conversations. And it's never something passive either. It's always, it always feels like I'm not just watching this happen. I'm expected to contribute and I'm expected to, yeah, to do my role in this. And it's when that's made very clear, it's very empowering, right? Because it's never, oh, but this needs to be done. So who's going to do it? No, I know wh what my role is. That was made clear. So I need to make it happen. How am I going to make it happen? Maybe I need to ask people who are more experienced, but it's on me, right? There's never that doubt of like, oh, I guess I'll just, you know, sit here and wait for this to be solved. That doesn't happen. It's just, it's more like, okay, I need to solve this and I need to just find out how. So yeah, so it's a rambling answer to say, like most days at, at the office, like if you go from like week to week, they feel pretty similar. But if you take that macro lens, that's, that's why I think the break is so important. Because if you take that macro lens and you compare like, you know, quarter to quarter, it feels like, oh, what I'm doing this quarter is vastly different than what I was doing last quarter. So 
it's never boring, right? Yeah, it's the experience that you get and the exposure is very different. The blood work example is a great one where, and again, you can structure an eng team or an eng function within a greater team in many, many different ways, but you're not just tasked with shipping code for some feature. You're responsible yep. for being part of developing an entire revenue stream. That's mm -hmm. sure we can call it like it has to be built into the product and it appears to be a service line feature, but it's a lot bigger than that. It's not just like, cool, let's update this. And I'm saying it colloquially, but it's not just like, cool, let's update this button or like, let's change the yeah. aesthetic of this graph where you're the animations, like what you started with. It's not mm -hmm. just this like piecemeal task where it's like, here's your ticket, go finish your ticket and I'll give you a new ticket. And like some Eng teams operate that way where it's very much this like piecemeal task work and the lens is like, great, I'm contributing and shipping and moving things forward, but your lens on like the why changes so much because mm -hmm. by being exposed to blood work, you like see all the pieces of the infrastructure, like the ops infrastructure, the eng infrastructure, like everything that gets built to actually like get this thing yeah. live. And then you see the fruits of the, that labor and you're like, holy smokes, like this is a cool thing. You see people using it. We start to do like pieces of content around it. And you're like, wait a minute, I was part of that thing. So it's a very, it's an interesting way that we've built the team so that we've got multiple stakeholders that are involved in like working together to bring these new things forward. And it happens time and time again. But one of the things to go into that's tied into this idea of structuring Eng teams in very different ways is as we've evolved, we've always had a focus on documentation and its importance. Mm -hmm. But as we bring more team members on board, you realize the importance of like communicating really well, really clearly and setting things up for the next person so that we're not just going so fast that we're shipping some janky code knowing that like, yeah, it's probably going to break, but we want to avoid tribal knowledge yeah. like so much. But what's it been like to see that evolve even where it, like in most companies where it's just like some PR happens and that's it. And we're like, no, there is a process for like what is expected when you want to do a review. And and ours is like down to the detail of doing it well in Notion, having a loom and like all of these little pieces of the puzzle, knowing that like that's a state in time. And we're very willing to break that to say what's a better mm -hmm. way of doing it. But what's happened like where you went from getting these emails that were sort of like get this thing over the line to all of a sudden we're not buttoned up on process, but implementing it with enough rigor to make sure that as we build the team, like people are set up for success and to be like way better at understanding what exists and like why it's done. And then also so that they can be part of this culture. This is a funny question because when I think of process, I usually think of like bureaucracy, right? Like, okay. um, yeah. so when you think about establishing all of these sort of blockers I have to get through to just get my code shipped. The initial thought is just resistance. No, why? Right. But I sort of in a privileged position of having gone through those steps in the, those phases in the company and just looking at things in the different lens. Right. And the thing is no one has the entire context. And that became very clear to me when I joined as a hired engineer, which was, we didn't have, you know, uh, the engineering onboarding at the time. We had like a really good, like company-wide onboarding that Miss put together, but we didn't have like anything engineering specific. 
And the thinking there was that went through my head was like, we should probably have something for engineers joining because I'm pretty sure that these questions I'm asking are would be the same questions that the next person joining are going to ask, right? It's just these are natural questions. And it's just, I'm in Portugal and everyone is mostly like US time. So it's just, I can't have that immediate response of just, oh, how do I do this? Can we jump on a call so you can walk me through this? So documenting these things then become, become really valuable because if I had that document, then I wouldn't have to ask these questions. And even if I don't think of all the questions that can be asked in this, this situation, people going through this after me, you know, whatever questions they may have, we can append and we can build upon this, right? So that's when we started the engineering onboarding. And again, so this is me, right? This radical person who like hates bureaucracy and like process is just this, now let's, let's get a doc together. But then we have these things that we want to improve, but we never really get time to do it. Well, we should probably get on a call and, you know, talk about it. And so we can find time to improve upon these things and find, you know, discuss these common challenges we're all facing. And, you know, I think it's very much about going through the pain of learning and then realizing, yes, if we do this, yeah, it, you know, documenting your code add some overhead, right? But remove so much extra work that you have to do like on the other end that it becomes very clear, like you would want to do it, right? Because mm -hmm. the first time you come back to code that's well-documented and you just read that documentation. And I, again, like I need to shout out Justin on this, right? So he, like we did the entire like chart li library we do for the, we use for the, for the app. And he did just this fantastic job of documenting it, right? And charts, like working on charts, and it's super intimidating because you're talking about SVGs and you're talking about these really weird mathy functions that you have to sort of grok to, to change and to, to make sense of. And these are large, large, large uh, functions that we have just rendering every little detail of the chart, like every tick, every area of the chart and it's super intimidating. So the first time where I was developing a feature where I had to go into the chart, I was just like, oh my, this is going to take so long. This is going to be so painful. I can't believe this. But yeah, like, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm the person who loves challenging myself. So I'm, you know, I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna dig into that code and I'm gonna figure it out. And I get to the code and everything is documented and like every parameter he used, he documents and like every little procedure he, he went through while building that is just like, okay, this is super easy. I just go here and oh, look, he pointed out the place. And like, I now I understand this so much better. And I, I have the context on why things were built this way. And all of that digging, all that toil that I expected to go through just isn't there. And like, immediately you go, Oh, okay. So that's why we do this. I didn't have to bring Justin into a call and like, hey, can you explain this to me? Which, you know, would have been super understandable because not only did he build the really complicated code, right? It's understandable that after building all that, he wouldn't like, I just, I just don't have the brain or the patience or, you know, the, the, the mindset to just go back and document all of this. But well, he did say so like, now I don't need to bug him about it. 
like the thing I thought was going to take like two weeks just to figure out. No, I, I can do it in a couple of days. And it's fine. And then that, that value is very clear. It's very obvious, right? Immediately. It's pretty atypical of startups or engineering functions to go this deep into documentation. But what you do is you end up creating, not only are you setting up the next person for success, but you're creating mental shortcuts for yourself where you can mm -hmm. almost forget it. Like you, you just go, I've already done the work. I don't need to like hold this as real estate in my mind to like remember what was done because the chance of us actually remembering what it is, like we'll think that we remember exactly how it was done. And then you go back like a week later, a year later, 10 years later, it doesn't matter. It's like, you'll never yeah. remember exactly why certain decisions were made. And so by putting the work in up front, then it gets so much easier when you need to reference that material in the future. And I think being a remote company, we have to be so intentional with documentation, whether it's related to Eng or related to finance, related to anything mm -hmm. where you're doing work that other people are going to review in the future so that people understand the decisions and you understand your own decisions. I remember yeah. in that Eng documentation episode that we did, Ian shared the parable, which was hilarious, of the engineer goes back into his code and he's like, who the hell wrote it? And then he's like, oh, wait, it's me, <laughs> right? But that's, yeah. that's kind of the point is that you're, you never really need to remember why decisions were made or if decisions were made and you, it doesn't matter who had done the work initially, you can always call yourself out and be like, I think that could be better. And so there is a ton of importance in doing this because as a remote company and as we try to be intentional, it's like what you avoid is what happens in person is people take the shortcut of not thinking they need documentation because, yeah. well, Marillo and I were sitting beside each other and we discussed this thing and like the way we decided to, whatever it is, the way we decided to actually build this feature was X, Y, and Z. And like, you sort of like make the decision. And even if somebody asks you in the future, it's like, you're still trying to remember what was done, but that happens yeah. because the default is speed with startups. Like you can't replace speed, but speed does come at a cost. And like, it's a pretty high cost when you spend twice as long having to go into, hypothetically, you went into that code that Justin had written and you spent so much mental energy and effort and then you pull him into a call. It's just like, it is actually way faster to do it right from the get-go. And not only that, like um, as someone who, who has often been on the other end, when people you write some code and then six months later, somebody asks you, oh, how does this work? You know, it's on you. You can't get <laughs> someone out. Like, I don't remember. I'm sorry. Uh, so now you, you need to like pretty much rediscover that code, which it could have been avoided, right? If you had done the better work of just making that clear the first time, for sure. So much faster too, if you need to fix any bugs, like there you go, you can go into the documentation. It's a lot easier to, for many people to figure things out as opposed to like, well, we can't get a hold of Murillo and we're trying to figure out where this bug is. Whereas like, you might know, it's like, oh, I know this is like where we should look and then everyone can reference that thing. And it's like, the fix is so much, assume it's like not some wild bug that is super hard to fix. It's just so much faster when troubleshooting and when actually being able to make changes when you've got all these reference points. Part of it is also having great warehousing, right? So the the architecture, the storage of that information, it's like almost all for naught if you do like half of the work, which is documenting it and you document mm -hmm. it thoroughly and well, but the architecture of where it's warehoused and how it's warehoused yeah. 
is really hard to discover for anyone. Like that's the other side of it is there's so many, there's so many layers to the air quotes documentation, like how to do it well. If everything ended up being like, let's use the example of it was on like Google drive and on people's like individual drives. And it's like, Oh, well we've got the documentation, but no one could discover it. It's like, that's yeah. almost like it doesn't even matter because you won't be able to find your own documentation or other people can't discover it. So there's a lot of layers to it, but the, the main takeaway is realizing how important it is and it helps to build trust with each other, trust with ourselves. And it helps to build rapport. Like you appreciate when somebody takes the time to do something and you go, wow, like I really trust that they've thought this through because they've documented mm -hmm. it. Well, you yeah. don't trust like, or you don't, Trust isn't eroded because it's like, well, that thing's janky and I don't know how it's bolted together. The analog in design, which is hilarious, is the creative cloud file, whether it's like Illustrator or Photoshop, and it's like 92 layers and exactly zero of them are named. They're all like yeah. layer one, layer two. And you're like, what do you do? You just have to turn them on and off to figure out which layer is which. Like, it's that same thing. So it's funny how that all yep. works. And yeah, I, I think this is something we're still like, uh, struggling where we're still like figuring out right we're still like working on it but I, at the same time i feel like we are a hundred times better than any other place i've worked with and that does you know improve your productivity just knowing that whatever you need is available right you can probably find some documentation that goes through it i think that frees up a lot of mind space and just lets you do your work whatever needs to be done yeah much easier that way so as we grow what are you looking forward to with everything ahead i think team growth is always great and on that note of me being the anti-process anti-bureaucracy uh just having more structure it's something like that i'm excited about just having more structure to the the eng team and just having and yeah and the the, the obvious thing of just like figuring out new challenges and new things, new tough problems. That's what excites me.